0: That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST. The last couple of years have been fearful ones for many Asian Americans. There was a surge in anti-Asian hate crime. The killings come at a time when violence against Asian Americans is growing mass shooting last year in Atlanta, Georgia, which killed six Asian women, highlighted this rising level of violence. The incident was widely covered in America's press and it led in part to the signing into law of the anti-Asian hate crimes bill. So what's behind this spike in anti-Asian hate in America. Why is this one of the few issues both sides of Congress can actually agree on? And with Asian Americans now the fastest growing of the nation's four main racial and ethnic groups, what influence could these voters have on the midterms and in 2024? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. Claire Jean Kim is Professor of Political Science and Asian American Studies at the University of California, Irvine. She's one of the leading voices in this whole discussion. I started off by asking Professor Kim whether or not we can even talk about Asian Americans. Is it a mistake to imagine an identity that encompasses Korean Americans, Japanese Americans, Chinese Americans, and those outside East Asia entirely? Or is the term meaningful despite that diversity?
1: The term is meaningful, although always with an asterisk, as you're suggesting, Jonathan, because from the very beginning of uh, the term Asian American being used in the 1960s in the U.S., there's been a lot of controversy over how meaningful it is and how coherent it is as a category or an identity. And there's ongoing tension among uh, Asian Americans over how to define it and whether it's a meaningful category. From the first arrival of Chinese laborers in California in the 1850s, we see the idea of an Asiatic or Mongolian being established and inserted into American law. And that that category of Asiatic or Mongolian has occupied a place in the white American imagination since then. So different Asian uh, immigrant groups who come in despite their difference in national origin and culture and language, et cetera, will get slotted into that category and understood through that category. So it is still meaningful in that sense. And it's also meaningful in a political sense in that Asian Americans identify as Asian American to some extent, not necessarily, that's not necessarily their primary identification. And they believe that this category or identity is important for political mobilization and asserting their political interests as a group.
0: I think some people perhaps outside the United States, maybe even some people inside the United States will be perhaps surprised or shocked to know that immigration From Asia was in in a way barred uh, in the United States right up until very relatively late until 1965 until the law changed. What is the legacy of that as you see it today? In other words, what does it mean for Asian Americans to know that they were legally unwelcome within living memory? What is the impact of uh, of that in terms of how they see themselves? and how Asian-Americans
1: are indeed seen. It's a very big impact. From the beginning, Chinese laborers in the mid-1800s were welcomed, and this is partly because of the decline of the slave trade internationally and the unavailability of African slave labor. So they were welcomed, the Chinese laborers, at first within the United States, but within 20 or 30 years, white labor interests began to see the Chinese laborers as a threat, hence the 1882 Congressional Act, excluding the Chinese laboring class from entering the US. Then the Japanese immigrants start to come into the US and then they're barred in 1924, along with other Asian immigrants along the way. So it's been sort of a staggered process. And as you mentioned in 1965, that immigration law for the first time removed racially discriminatory quotas from US immigration law, which then allowed the Asian American uh, population to grow significantly in the post 65 era. Part of the legacy, going back to your question, is that Asian-Americans have always been seen, even when born in this country, native-born citizens, always been seen as foreign, right? That their loyalties are elsewhere. So for instance, recently, when we see this uptick in anti-Asian racism because of President Trump's comments about COVID-19, that's playing into this very long, centuries-long historical pattern of hostility and suspicion toward Asian-Americans based on world events, geopolitical events, in this case, uh, a global pandemic.
0: We're going to come on to that spike in racism and racist attacks targeting Asian Americans in a moment, because there's something I'm very specific I want to ask you about that. But just on, it's fascinating what you say about this notion of foreignness, that that makes it a different kind of racism than, for example, the racism perhaps directed at black Americans, this notion of of a loyalty to a a homeland outside the United States. You've spoken of uh, Asian American identity as a triangulated identity. As I understand it, somewhere between black and white or somehow you know, in a no man's land between the two somehow. But that, that, those are my words. You, you tell us what you mean by that. And just say
1: more about that, because I, I think it's such an interesting idea. The book that I just finished, which should come out next year, Asian Americans in an American anti-black world, the essential principle it identifies in the US racial order is whiteness is best, but the most important thing is not blackness. And my argument is that Asian immigrants from the beginning have been seen as not black and that that has been the determining factor in how they've been positioned and what kind of mobility they've been allowed over time. So Asian Americans being seen as always the lesser of two evils as compared to black people in the eyes of white Americans. So this doesn't mean that white people have welcomed Asian immigrants or treated them equally or fairly, whether there's a continuous history of discrimination uh, until the present day against Asian Americans, but it does mean that, you know, under certain conditions, Asian Americans have been allowed to approach the privileges of whiteness and have been allowed certain kinds of mobility, for instance, being able to move into white neighborhoods that excluded them before, in order to keep black people down. So there is a sort of interactive relational aspect between what has happened with Asian Americans, and what has happened with black people.
0: Because in the minds of the white racist, at least Asian Americans are not black. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, th- 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 this is obviously sort of bleak territory to get into. But you did mention this surge in uh, anti-Asian American uh, racism that occurred, and you said quite directly that you tied it to the COVID nineteen pandemic. And people have often done that; they've said that you know, as it were, no wonder because there was Donald Trump talking about the China virus.
1: Why do you keep using this? Because it of comes say from it's China. Racist.
0: It's not racist at all, no, not at all. It comes from China. Talking about Kung Flu, and therefore, almost as if a direct consequence of that would be this surge in attacks on Asian Americans. It was an easy correlation to make that a direct consequence of the President of the United States saying these prejudiced things would be this reported surge in attacks on Asian-Americans, and yet you've been troubled by the narrative we've seen over the last year or so. Tell me why that is.
1: The takeaway has been that there's been this tsunami of attacks, violent and fatal attacks against Asian-Americans who have been targeted above other racial groups, and that the perpetrators are often, if not usually, black. Um, And that then the US Congress passed the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act about a year ago, And President Biden signed it to address this fact. We heard how too many Asian Americans have been waking up each morning this past year genuinely, genuinely fearing for their safety. And so, yes, I think the narrative is wrong in terms of the magnitude of the problem it suggests, the severity of the attacks on Asian Americans, who is doing it and how this relates to violence against other groups. So I'm I'm going to cite the work of my colleagues, Janelle Wong at University of Maryland and Karthik Ramakrishnan at University of California, Riverside, who've been doing recent work on this. Even though there has been a dramatic increase during COVID-19, if we look at the FBI hate crime statistics for 2020, attacks against Asian Americans are still less than one tenth of all racially motivated attacks against groups. Most perpetrators, are white, according to Wang and Ramakrishnan, most perpetrators are white, not black. There's also, in my view, as I'm watching these media stories unfold, it's disturbed me to see that the incidents that involve Asian American victims are sometimes characterized as racially motivated when there's little or no evidence that that is true. And the, the story will say, we're not entirely sure this is racial, but anyone reading the story walks away thinking this was a racially motivated crime. But you see Asian American leaders being interviewed in the news, commenting on these crimes and saying, this is a good example of why Asian Americans need to be vigilant. So it gets folded into that anti-Asian narrative because the victims are Asian American, even though it's not, there's no evidence that these are racial crimes. That's very concerning to me. What I am concerned about is that it's the focus on anti-Asian hate which has increased, is taking our attention away from, and I think in some sense deliberately deflecting attention away from, the ongoing structural problem of anti-black violence that is both by civilians and by the state. And um, you know, it's no accident that the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act, which was sold to the public as something that's being done to stem anti-Asian violence, that that sailed through the US Congress. It went through the Senate 94 to one. I'd like to thank the Congress and the members who are here today, Democrats and Republicans, who came together to get the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act on my desk. Now, you know, Jonathan, like the era of polarization we're in. It went in went through 94 to one, whereas the Justice for George Floyd Policing Act, which actually would have tried to create more police accountability to minority communities, died in the Senate, right? That So after that enormous wave of protest after the murder of George Floyd, The biggest protest movement in U.S. history, 15 to 26 million people taking to the streets, that legislation goes into Congress and dies in the Senate, as so many racial justice proposals have died over the centuries in the Senate. To me, that's the backdrop we need to be thinking about. We need to look at what's happening with Asian Americans in the context of the larger question of what's happening in the U.S. as an anti-Black society.
0: It's very interesting. The implication of what you're saying there is that in a way it's quite comfortable for some, perhaps particularly Republicans, to take a stand on this racism directed against anti-Asians, almost as it were, as cover for their inaction or worse on anti-Black racism. Absolutely. So we're into the politics of this now. And I think there's, uh, and you mentioned right in your first answer about how the term has meaning partly because of Political organization. Uh, there are people, and you've, in fact, I think you've, you 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 touched on a couple of the scholars who t- talk about this. There are people who write a lot about this, and 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 again, there is a huge caveat we have to put in because, of course, this is such a diverse range of different communities and different histories and experiences that partly brought these communities to the United States. But what one, one interesting thing is this shift politically. It's really noticeable in terms of exit polling, which has been goes back some decades that says right at the you know several decades ago very broadly speaking there was a quite a preponderance of republican voting among asian americans mm-hmm. often put down to a kind of a, almost visceral anti-communism from communities that had come from communist ruled countries and that over time that has shifted and that now asian americans tend to vote again this is broad generalizations but exit polling suggests in the 2020 election broadly 2 to 1 democrat to Republican, uh, and that the shift is partly you know, generational. But, but just tell us, in even quite broad outline terms, what you make of that sort of big picture account before we dive into some of the detail of it.
1: Yes, I think that's true. That's accurate what you stated. And we see, for instance, in the last presidential election, the support for Biden was higher among Asian Americans than it was, for example, among Latinx voters. Not as high as it was among black voters, but it was a very big uh, split in favor of Biden. And yes, the trend has been in presidential elections for Asian Americans to be trending toward the Democrats. They now seem to be a very solid Democratic bloc um, with a strong minority Republican component. What's interesting to me about that, Context. And as you mentioned, once again, the asterisk applies. So, within some communities, for example, the Vietnamese American community, there's going to be a higher rate of republicanism than, let's say, among Chinese Americans who are split between a more leftist and a more um, conservative orientation. So, it's going to depend in part upon national origin.
0: All those are important pointers to some of these tensions within, as it were, the coalition of minorities that particularly the Democrats rely on and i suppose famously one one major point of tension is over college admissions and affirmative action programs designed to advantage or give a helping hand to African-American or Hispanic uh, college applicants, uh, an effort that was often opposed by Asian-Americans who had managed to get uh, themselves admissions into some of the most elite educational institutions in the country and felt that, that 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 advance, those advances would be jeopardized and had been jeopardized by affirmative action programs that, as it were, benefited Others. So that, that, that tension, that battle has been talked about a lot, uh, and we no, don't need to get into it again here. Uh, in a way, I was going to ask a more basic question, which was just about the historic shift. Uh, initially, uh, I think it's right that a whole lot of the first waves of immigrants from, for example, Vietnam or China had a visceral anti-communism, which made them align with conservatism and Re- the Republican Party in America. The next generation, very different, down the line, liberal positions on healthcare, free college tuition, the environment, opposition to the Muslim immigration ban under Donald Trump and so on. Can you explain for us how that shift came about, that a group that was strongly aligned as conservatives a generation or two ago is now firmly in the liberal camp?
1: I think you're right on many of the issues that you mentioned, Asian-Americans do occupy uh, strong and committed liberal positions. I think this is related to the fact of um, they being highly educated, right, because um, a high level of advanced degrees and high level of education is often correlated with more um, liberal political positions. And I do think the history of discrimination and the ongoing aspects of discrimination against Asian Americans also plays a role that um, many Asian Americans who are young see themselves as fitting in for the most part, but also being still excluded by race. And that factors into their sort of analysis or critique of the US political scene. So I think those things are at play. In terms of religion, you have a greater diversity Catholicism is not the factor that it is for most Asian Americans in the way that it is for example, for Latinx communities. So for example, on the issue of abortion that would help to explain a greater a more liberal position on that. The preponderance of uh, national advocacy groups for Asian Americans are solidly liberal. I feel like they're still trying to figure out how to respond to the these more conservative new emerging groups. Um, but it is so it's a it's a political picture of a lot of different conflicting tendencies right now. And things are in flux, and it's hard to say where that's all going to go. Let
0: me just rattle through two or three things that have leapt out to me, and I just would love to hear your view on. One is, a massive leap in 2020 happened in something really specific, which is turnout. The Asian-American turnout just spiked in 2020 in that election I just I'm keen to know whether that is a one-off or if you think that's going to get repeated and I think what it turns on is what you think might have been the cause of that spike the temptation is to say it was opposition to Donald Trump talking about China virus and Kung flu and that brought out voters who felt slighted and aggrieved by that rhetoric or do you see something else in that And, and and obviously what hinges on this question is whether this could be repeated.
1: I do see something else in that because although Asian American voters are concerned when a president says things like, you know, COVID-19 is a Chinese flu and and legitimately concerned, they are also, like other voters, concerned about other issues. So they could be opposed to Trump because precisely because they support the other policy positions you mentioned on health care, et cetera. I do see a more engagement among younger Asian Americans. So I teach at UCI, which has Um, a very, I think it's the highest percentage of Asian American undergraduates on the mainland, so outside of Hawaii. And um, the students since the murder of George Floyd and the sort of social movement that followed that, Black Lives Matter resurgence that followed that, have been more concerned than before about where Asians fit into the U.S. racial picture and how Asian Americans can think about their relationship to Black communities and rethink those relationships, and I see more uh, more sort of urgency around those issues, and I think that is starting to um, translate into getting to the polls, being more interested in electoral politics. So I do th- see that as continuing, but again, not because Asian Americans are cons- are concerned only with issues that they think directly affect them.
0: Right, and because I, I should say that that increase in turnout in twenty twenty. Uh, was greater than for any other racial or ethnic group. It was a huge leap between 2016 and 2020. I mean, this may be very trivial. Uh, did it did it play any part at all? Do you think that on the t- on the ballot was a, a candidate with some Asian heritage in the form of Kamala Harris, who has uh, obviously an Indian American background? Does it work that way or and this is I suppose is my question if you if one is a Vietnamese American or Korean American do, do you feel any greater connection with an Indian American such as Kamala Harris than you would with anybody else or, or is that to to again make the mistake I was talking about right at the start of viewing what is an incredibly diverse uh, you know assemblage of people as some kind of monolith
1: <laughs> That's an interesting question, too. I do believe it made a difference with some voters, but uh, probably a it was a tertiary, secondary or tertiary factor, right? So they were leaning toward the Democrats anyhow because of policy positions, and it helped that Kamala Harris is part uh, of Indian descent. Uh, but, you know, the way you phrase the question raised, takes us back to the issue of heterogeneity among Asian Americans, and do Indian Americans count as Asian Americans in the same way that East Asians do, right? Are do South Asians Asian Americans? Are Southeast Asian Asian Americans or is it just East Asians? Um, and that's been the question since the Asian American movement of the 1960s on college campuses in California when they first started using the rubric Asian American immediately became a question Is this really just for East Asians? Because the leaders of the movement on the campuses were East Asian. And um, other groups, for example, notably Filipino Americans, said we're not being included. We're brown. We're not yellow. You're talking about yellow power. So those tensions have been there from the beginning. Following on from talking about Kamala Harris, are there some other
0: breakout or breakthrough rising star Asian-American politicians we should be aware of that people from some distance, as I am, as I talk to you, should be aware of?
1: Well, I would say the so-called squad in the the House of Representatives, none of whom happens to be counted as Asian-American currently, like Ocasio-Cortez and um, Tlaib and others. Um, I think they represent, you know, many of the values that younger Asian-Americans have. So I don't think racial representation has to be by Asian-American faces. I think it's about representation of principles and values in the form of policy.
0: Professor, we always ask our guests on the show a what else question, something completely different. And uh, this week, uh, our attention is caught by Joe Biden, apparently, reportedly telling Barack Obama that yes, despite heading for his 80th birthday, he does plan to seek a second term. Just putting on your hat as a general observer of the political scene, Professor of Political Science, what do you make of that?
1: Well, that puts me in mind of the recent report uh, released about Diane Senator Diane Feinstein in California. I don't know if you've seen it, Jonathan. I you, uh, have. Yeah. Yes, questioning her fitness for office based on you know age-related mm-hmm. mental disability, and this strikes me as a problem that is a a much bigger problem than just mm-hmm. Diane Feinstein and Joe Biden. I mean, we look at the Congress and the age of the members, particularly in the Senate, and it's it's a concern. And I think um, in particular, you look at the progressive young representatives I just mentioned. You know, they're all. Uh, a couple generations younger than than Feinstein and Biden and so i think there's a real hunger by younger americans and middle-aged americans too for for new leadership and uh there's a real question about the sort of phasing out of older leaders and when people will step down and what's best for the country so i think those are questions we need to have uh, debates we need to have and it, it the fact that we don't have them more openly i think relates to the problem the U.S. has, and this is probably a problem shared by other countries, too, in discussing aging in general, right? The, the challenges of dealing with an aging population. these are These are things we don't talk about openly and we don't deal with very well.
0: Professor Claire Jean Kim, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast this week.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: And that is all from me for this week. Do make sure to listen back to Politics Weekly UK, where my colleague Gabby Hinsliff and her guests look at what happens when ministers no longer seem afraid to push the boundaries of the law after a week that saw the Prime Minister apologise for breaking Covid lockdown rules and the Home Secretary Priti Patel criticised over the legality of her plans to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. But for now, it's goodbye. The producers were Ian Chambers and Danielle Stevens, and the executive producer was Maz Ebtehaj. I'm Jonathan Friedland, and thanks, as always, for listening.
1: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?